and welcome back to another episode of Relatable Chapters. Today I'm joined with Charlotte Miller. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, good, good. Can't How was your uh, week so far? It's Wednesday, <sighs> midweek. It is midweek, getting there slowly but surely. Anything happened so far? Any small wins for the week? Ooh, small wins. I managed to hand in the assignment with 31 seconds to go, so that was pretty exciting. 31 seconds. Yeah, that was the old nerves were going there for a second. I was a little bit worried. So this is online, eh? Yeah. You would have been pissed if the internet cut out. I know, imagine. Imagine it would have been game over, but uh, <laughs> got there in the end. Why, why, why did you leave it so late? So I was about, I had it ready like the night before, and I suddenly remembered right as I was going to hand it in that I hadn't referenced something properly. Oh, so I was like yeah, scramble, scramble, rushing scramble. to type this in. I got there in the end, so hopefully it's a... It's all right. And so what's that for? Is that law? Was yep. It? So it's an um, essay on a consent policy mm-hmm. on whether we should define sexual consent within New Zealand. Interesting. Mm. Um, we'll start with three things you're grateful for today. Uh, first thing, the dog. Oh, <laughs> sitting it. next to me. Love it, love it. Dog, eh? <laughs> no. uh, Grateful that the rain has gone away, although yeah. who knows for how long. And grateful for the coffee you bought me. Um, I'm grateful for my friends. Um, I've had to lean on a couple in the last few days. A um, lot going on. I'm grateful for this amazing view. I've uh, never been in something <laughs> like this before. I love it. And I'm grateful for you reaching out um, because this does talk about some interesting points. Um, and not many people have reached out and going, hey, I've got a cool story. <laughs> so I'm excited. Um, but before we get into it, let's just explain what who you are, what you do, maybe. You just right. mentioned you, you study. Yeah, so I am in my third year of law. Um, I'm 21 years old and, oh gosh, it, feels, it feels like I'm filling in like a dating site with <laughs> bio or something. <laughs> Thank goodness not. Um, yeah, I grew up in Hamilton, yeah. always lived in Hamilton, and I have one sister who is turning 10 next month which is scary and yeah that's me if you would have been on a dating site would you pay much attention to the bios i think the bios are important yeah yeah very important like you know it's first impressions essentially mm. and if you can't but would you expect something cheesy something serious because in the past i've just gone ah oh, fuck it's a waste of time serious i'd probably be like mm yeah, Unless it was, yeah, a little bit too much. But, like, you know, you want something that's going to make you laugh or it's going to make you kind of go, oh, they've obviously got something, yeah. a bit of substance about them. I'll consider it next time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll help you write it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, your keynote theme this week is uh, life is never guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So, as we'll tap in a few other, few of your main points here, yeah. um, you are my youngest guest. So,. We haven't really gone through key turning points as such, but we've got a few points. Um, and definitely the life is not never guaranteed is key in two of them, really. Yeah, definitely. So we'll come back to that at the end after we flow through these. But the first one we'll start with is fertility issues. Mm-hmm. Infertility. Is that you say it? It was infertility, fertility issues. Oh, I actually don't know. I I've always been saying, like, Fertility issues because yeah 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 I don't have issues in, infertility would be ah uh, yeah that would be have. the opposite eh? it would be a double yeah. negative 
Okay, I've read a double negative. <laughs> but yeah, as a young 21-year-old, this was um, shocking. Mm-hmm. So let's start at the beginning. How did you find out? So when I was 18, I went to the, my GP with horrible stomach pains and she said, I think you've got endometriosis, which, mm-hmm. you know... Becoming more... Um, massively common. Common these days, yeah, like for one sure. in ten women or something, one in nine, which is a... I think it m- might be more than that, actually. Yeah, it might be. Gosh. Um, yeah, so I went and saw a gynecologist, and you know, she basically took one look at me and said, yep, let's book you in for surgery, because you can't actually di- diagnose endometriosis unless you go through the surgery. Mm-hmm. So there's no scan or test for so it. So a gynecologist is a doctor who looks at your female parts? Yes, specialises. And when you say look, they actually look on the inside? Yes. Yep, okay. All, all up in there, yep. Yeah, was that nerve nerve wracking to be to, as a young person? Um, I've always had health issues throughout my life, and I feel like I've almost become desensitized to the whole like doctor. poking and prodding. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's their job. They've, mm-hmm. You know, seen a thousand before, so no, yeah. that's good. So yeah, you got scan, and they said what? Sorry, uh, booked me in for surgery within two weeks, I think. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. So went in, had that done. Uh, turns out, did have endometriosis, and um, my gynecologist told me that I had a. I'm going to get this wrong. Unihorn uterus. So obviously, if you picture a uterus, it's got yep. two little horns coming off the side. Mm-hmm. One of mine didn't attach. So I had oh, one shit. attached, one not. And that oh. could prove quite bad. That yeah, was yeah, why yeah. I was getting such um, reoccurring endometriosis. Yeah. And she just kind of said to me, um, have you ever thought about having kids? And as an 18-year-old, I went, no, nope, not really. And she went, right, have them this year or don't have them at all. And at 18, that was a pretty... Is that quite confronting? <laughs> exceptionally. Like, my mum was in the room, and we were kind of looking at each other like, this Holy is not fuck. quite what we were expecting. Um, so, yeah, we kind of went away from that appointment quite confused, quite... So the unihorn kind of situation, because um, if I'm correct, you have eggs on both sides, mm-hmm. or whatever you call them, each... Month one comes from each side kind yep. of thing, like alternates. Yeah. So you're removing half of that, so you remove half of your lifetime. So technically I still, so it's on the right side that it didn't connect, I still have a ovary on the right side yeah. that would release and it would go into, um, like it can still, it's still fully functioning, mm-hmm. but it had nowhere to go. Yeah, okay. And the right uterus, uh, right little bit that didn't attach would still do its normal job where it would once a month that would, you know, uh, break everything down. I don't know the technical terms. Um, and would try and release that mm-hmm. as, you know, the once a month thing. Um, and it couldn't do that. So where would it go? It couldn't. It would just, and that's what causes endometriosis yeah. in a way for me. Um, it was, the blood was just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Couldn't go anywhere. So it would just continue. So did you have to get that removed? Yep, so we actually went to see another gynecologist who was a male, which was a bit different, um, about the little bit that was just hanging there, and he gave us a second opinion, and he said that needs to come out right now. Mm-hmm. So again, within two weeks, I was back under the knife and got that taken out. Why did you seek a second opinion? 
Um, the first doctor, she it was one of those doctors where you hear about where they lose their humanity. They've almost become too desensitised oh, yeah. to the issues they're dealing with and she didn't really care about me. Mm-hmm. And she just was there kind of... Just doing a job. Did the surgery, was done with me. Didn't mm-hmm. want to do anything else. I did a blood test with her. It's called an AMH blood test that measures your egg reserve levels. Mm-hmm. She told me over over an email that there was only 50% chance of me even doing egg freezing to be able to have kids. So she said, good luck with that, basically, in an email and... After that, I was like, right, I might go see someone else first before yeah. I think too deeply about this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you went and got second opinion mm-hmm. in surgery, took out the right side? Yep. And then, so how did you deal with the, you're 18, you need to have kids now thing? Ooh. Um, well, obviously, decided not to have kids. I wasn't quite ready. That I mean, mad respect to people who can have kids at that age. I can barely look after myself, let alone another human. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'll preach on yeah. that. <laughs> the <laughs> dog's enough for yeah, me, honestly. Yeah, 100%. Like, oh, but um, I went and saw another fertility expert, and he reviewed the AMH results and kind of decided. Uh, so the level was at twelve, which mm-hmm. without seeing a graph, it's kind of hard to explain. But that's in like the red zone. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "Let's monitor it each year, and if it starts to drop again." then we can consider... So is, is that number um, a percentage chance of... like, Or is it it's a level... It's so a if, level of something. So if it... What does it mean if it drops? And what does it mean if it increases? So if you imagine like a graph, you know, you've got your yep. ages along the bottom, you've got whatever the 12 means. Yep, the value. It does mean something. I'm not, yep. a, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> There's like red, orange, green. Yep. So you want to be in the green zone. And the older you get, the lower the green zone is. So yeah, okay. So over a period of time, it, it'll drop down. Yeah. So then if it were to drop down, um, that is telling you that your chances of having children just drop yeah. and drop. Yeah, and drop. so your egg, resor- uh, egg reserve levels are lower. Egg reserve, that's the one. Okay, cool. Is this common? More common than people realise. Yeah. Massively. Yeah, it's a. It's not something that you know. The scale doesn't even go back to eighteen to twenty-one. It only mm. starts at twenty-five. Like that's when they start having like it on the graph. They don't even have my age, but people don't realise, with, especially with endometriosis. I'm not saying everyone who has endometriosis has fertility issues, mm. but it is more common. But I'd imagine the uni horning is very unique as well. Not that as common, that yeah. definitely is not as common. So what was the process going forward? Uh, you mentioned freezing eggs. Mm-hmm. So with, that's the route you went? Yep. So this year I had my AMH test and it had dropped from 12 to 9, which mm-hmm. is considered a significant drop. Well, so yeah. it was t- decided um, that it was time to look into egg freezing. Mm-hmm. And I actually swapped specialists from the one in Hamilton to a guy in Auckland. Per my friend's recommendation. And yeah, he was great. Like, uh, he was the first doctor to kind of say to me, this is your choice. No one can promise you anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you could freeze your eggs and not have a kid. Or you could not freeze your eggs and still have a kid. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee. And, you know, I kind of resonated with him quite well. And yeah, we decided to go ahead and I think two months ago now, 
month and a half ago, I did my first round of preparing for egg collection. So let's go through this. What is a round? What does it look so, like? What, what, okay. is, what is the process <laughs> of um, someone freezing an egg? And is this the same process as if you were 30, 32? Yes. Yep. So basically you start with, you start on the second day, I believe, of your period. Mm-hmm. You get blood test to make sure they've got a baseline for all your hormones. And then they give you a nice little carry bag full of injections. Mm-hmm. And you start doing... My one, so medications can vary, um, but my one I did nightly injections mm-hmm. into my stomach and did that for about oh, a week and a half. And at certain points throughout that, I'd go up to Auckland and he'd do a scan mm-hmm. where he could see how many follicles, which is what basically holds the egg, were growing. Okay, I know that this is another side tangent, I suppose. Um, a lot of birth control and stuff like that affects females' hormone levels and quite considerably, um, and vary depending on what they use. Mm-hmm. Was this similar with the medication that you'd had to take? Yeah. So basically, it's giving yourself. So once a month, a girl releases one egg. Yep. This is trying to get eight to fourteen. Oh shit. Yeah. So it's basically like. A period on steroids. Basically opening the dam. Yeah, you were really. I mean, oh, I feel sorry for everyone around me. I was... <laughs> yeah. So, like, all your effects and stuff just increased twofold yeah. kind of thing as well. I almost felt like I was pregnant without being pregnant. Yeah. I'd get all the side effects and the hormones. I was just, you know, you could be fine. I could be doing the dishes and suddenly I'd just start crying. And I wasn't sad. Yeah. But I just couldn't control yeah. it. So that was Okay, so funny. you're not at the bottom of the... The thing trying to catch these things. So, how do you actually harvest? I don't know what you call it. How do you harvest the eggs? Extract. I don't even Extract, know the word. Yeah. Um, I'm a dude. I don't yeah. Know. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so I purposely didn't ask any questions about how this would be done before it was done. Yeah, but say so like if you're already bleeding them out more than normal, so you don't actually you don't release them. Oh yeah. So they yeah. give you what's called at the beginning, like a. I don't know what the medication is, but it holds them in. Mm-hmm. stops you from releasing the eggs. So they're still, I don't know exactly where they sit, but they sit in the ovaries in the follicle growing. Mm-hmm. They get to an optimal size, so there's too small, too big. It's this perfect range. They can measure them with the scans, which was quite incredible to see. Um, then they go in with a needle, and they extract them from the ovaries directly. Fucking hell. Yeah. So you got medication to kind of put your body into this overdrive, overdrive yeah, yeah. yeah, but not release it, and then they got to go and then extract. Yeah, extract sounds funny, but yeah, <laughs> um, go and remove. So, okay, you're saying that instead of remove, instead of releasing one, your body's trying to release multiple. Yeah. How did your first uh, extraction go? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know a better word for it. Um, How did your first, uh, it's not even a trial, how did your first treatment, uh, month, whatever you call it? Yeah, so it did not go well. Mm -hmm. Um, I started out with eight eggs, which is considered the lower end of good. So that's a scan? Yep, so the scan Scan, showed eight. eight. Cool, looking good, not ready to extract. Yep, came back two days later and I dropped to four. Okay. And nobody knows why. And then... By the time the extraction came around, we managed to get two. 
Shit. So that's considered an unsuccessful yeah, yeah, yeah. treatment. So those other six, are they in a way wasted? Gone, yeah. In, in quotation marks? Yeah, and essentially they've just... Yeah. Oh, shit. Mm. Why do you think that the numbers drop? Cut? There's a lot of theories. Um, I've been tested since for lots of genetic conditions, um, but also... One thing they tell you at the beginning is stress. Mm-hmm. You have to keep your stress levels low. <laughs> and telling someone that they have to keep their stress levels low is not good for stress. No, nah, man. No, but um, yeah, so I had a bit of a spike in stress during the time, and that was in between losing the four mm-hmm. to begin with. Which so that was could have been a, It could have been that, yeah. yeah. Your body telling you things. Eh? Mm. How do you deal with stress? Um, inwardly mm-hmm. is probably the best way to describe it. I, yeah, I try and kind of keep it all down and just keep going. Which probably isn't the right thing. No, right? probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> do you meditate or anything? Haven't tried it. I'm not patient enough. <laughs> Don't want to be sitting with my own thoughts. Yeah, no, hundred percent. <laughs> when I was your age, <laughs> for sure. Now I'm getting older, I'm trying to dabble in more yep, of that shit. Yep. Being mindful and present and shit. Mm. Okay, um, another question then. Do you track your cycle or did you track your cycle beforehand? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that... And do you find that quite useful just knowing? It's just another number that you can see? Um, I think it feels like I have something I can control. Mm-hmm. Like obviously I can't control it at all. It's what your body's doing, but... You know, this proce- whole process kind of gives you, like, a massive sense of feeling out of control. Mm-hmm. Like, your body doesn't work properly. Like, there's something wrong with you. And it's all up to what your body does. But I think doing helping in any way I can, even if it's minuscule, mm-hmm. I still feel like it's kind of giving me a sense of power. How have you dealt with the emotions of, I suppose, losing that potential opportunity? To be honest, I'm a lot more positive than I thought I'd be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my specialist, he was, on the actual day of the extraction, he just kept apologising and he went to mum so upset and just said, I'm so sorry that this didn't work for her. We wanted this to be better. Mm-hmm. But to me, this is one go. And I'm not, I know, I, I know people who have been in their 30s, 40s, have gone through this to try and have a baby and haven't been successful mm-hmm. and I think being 21 you know it almost doesn't feel real it feels like you know, I don't want kids right now this is why I'm doing it mm. and you know you kind of think I don't want a baby out of this right now so it doesn't feel like you're losing a baby mm-hmm. is it hard as well because none of your friends are going through the same thing yeah. I think unless you've actually been through it it's something that you don't really quite understand Mm -hmm. and my friends have been amazing like I have very supportive cool friends but it's almost hard to explain Mm -hmm. and you know I posted a reel about this because I kind of thought you know what this is something that not many people know about yeah you can raise awareness raise awareness and it kind of you know people don't talk about it and so I wanted to kind of put something out there and I was met with a lot of scrutiny Mm mm-hmm which I didn't expect. And like, how 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 does that look? 
Um, just a lot of people going, well, why are you wasting money on that? Like, why aren't you just having a kid now? Why wouldn't yeah. you just have kids now? You know, yes. there's people who can't have kids and they would give anything to have a kid right now. Yeah. So why yeah. am I not doing it now? Okay, that makes sense. So is there going to be round two? Yes, uh, September. Mm-hmm. So same same deal, same kind of injections? and Similar. Um, mm. I had a Zoom call recently with my specialist and he just said we're going to throw the book at it. I'm already on types of medication. Like, What does he mean by throw the book at it? Uh, try everything. Mm-hmm. Try everything he knows that is possible to do and just see what sticks. Yeah, yeah. Are you nervous? I think, yeah, I think I am nervous, but positive. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself doing another round after that kind of thing? Like, how, how does that <laughs> Well, it actually depends, really. Is it tolling? It's massively tolling. Yeah. I <clears throat> I didn't realise going into it how much of a mental battle it is. Like, mm-hmm. physically, your body's going through a lot, but that's nothing compared to what's going on in your head. Mm. And, um, yeah, I... I'm not exactly excited for it again. I'm excited to get started, but, you know, trying to balance uni as well as doing this and working. Working, yeah, as I can say. And yeah. then social. And then social, trying to still spend time with people. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you know what the chances are? No. Okay, at the uh, opposite end then, do you know how you unfreeze them and use them and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so it's... It's a pretty fascinating process. So basically they are currently the two that have survived are on liquid nitrogen frozen. And I have a 10-year expiration date, apparently. <laughs> but that's all based on ethical, not medical. Yeah, okay. So I can apply to the ethics board if I want longer than 10 years. And mm-hmm. as long as I haven't murdered someone in 10 years, then they typically grant you, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. an extension. But yeah, they just unfreeze them. And then it's basically the other half of the IVF process, which is the fertilisation and implantation. So when you go through IVF, as people who are struggling, then that's um, lab done, isn't it? Yes. So sperm, the egg, they put it together. Mm-hmm. When it's working, then they insert it back in? Yeah. Huh. Sounds a lot easier than I'd imagine it is. Oh, I can imagine it would be a lot harder than that, and there's a lot more <laughs> science behind it, but that's the... Limited understanding version. Anything else you'd like to add on that kind of section? No, I think I think that's kind of covered everything. It must be tough though, being twenty-one. Yeah, it's not something I'd expect to be going through at twenty-one. Fuck no. Especially like you know, this is kind of such a future decision. 13 grand-ish around, mm. you know, it's kind of, feels like I'm kind of sealing my future now. I'm glad I'm a male sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wouldn't that be easier? Fuck now. Let's move into therapy then, eh? Mm-hmm. So another huge thing that's been popping up a lot recently for me as well. Uh, and quite a few of my guests, um, especially like Gemma recently, um, but kind of therapy, counselling, whatever they are, so they're called, um, finding the right one, all that kind of shit. 
Um, but once again, you're young and you've been through a lot. Yeah. Been through a yeah. few. Do you want to lay down a bit of a backstory? So, <clears throat> sorry. When I was 18, two days after I had my uterus, half my uterus removed, my coworker killed himself. Mm-hmm. And I was quite close with him. And the day of his funeral, which was a few days later, my granddad, who committed suicide, passed away. He wasn't successful in his attempt. took him a few days to (laughs) get through it. Um, And then two days after his funeral, um, my best friend killed himself as well. Mm -hmm. So all within the span of a few days, really? Yeah, so it's coming up three years on August 26th. And it was August twenty, uh, September twenty third. So within a month, mm-hmm. all three. Within a month. As a young eighteen year old, how the fuck does that influence you? Impacts. I, I'm like, still dealing with the impacts today. Even like now, I'm what t- I'm twenty six. I still don't think I'm fully developed in the fucking frontal lobe. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's males developing <laughs> when you're 25. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, a bit slower. But when you're fucking 18, that's like, you've hardly had a chance to process anything, haven't you? No, and to be honest, at the time, I don't think I processed anything. It was just too much for my mind to kind of comprehend what was going on. I guess on that, you, you're still processing it three years later. Yep. That's, a, I think, a key takeaway. For me, right there is that it's it's not simple at all by any stretch, um, and you've gone through a few different people, haven't you? Yeah. Um, so stick with the start. Happened all three. Mm-hmm. At what point do you seek guidance? So I was working for the police at the time, mm-hmm. and they offered our whole work group after losing our coworker. Um, Sessions at a psychologist. So is that government or um, your work providing that service? Work. Work, yeah. 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 And um, it was actually Bryn who told me after my co killed himself, he said, right, take it. Go mm. and talk it through. Because I didn't understand it. You know. Yeah, okay, so uh, let's note that Bryn was the third person, your best yeah. friend, that committed to, did it. So after your first one, Bryn was the person who said, take take the therapy. Yeah. I didn't want to go. I didn't think I had a reason to go. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, he was only my co-worker. He was someone else's brother, someone's partner. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I needed it. But someone else's son. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I took it anyway, thanks to Bryn, and went and saw the psychologist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, had the first session and she was great. I really enjoyed talking with her and um, it was really eye-opening for a lot of things that I didn't realise were kind of going on in my head. And then Grandad passed away and I had my second session with her and, yeah, I feel like she was just... She wasn't obviously a part of my life in the way that like my friends and family mm. were. So unloading on someone like that just kind of felt very freeing. And then um, Bryn passed away. Mm -hmm. And 
I ended up seeing her for seven more sessions after that. And she applied to the Gumboot Foundation for me because I was such a young age, which, you know, I never had to pay for anything, which was amazing. And genuinely, without sounding like a dick, I owe my life to her. Mm-hmm. I don't think I realised how bad I was at the time. Like, looking back, it's scary to think the place my mind was in. But she was just... She just heard me in a different way, which was a really unique experience. Um, how often did you see her? I was going about once a week. Yeah, so it was spread out over once a week. Yeah. So you had a time to so unload, get advice, help, whatever... Yeah. Kind of go back into reality, process it a bit, and then come back with mm-hmm. another week. Yeah. What did a common session look like? So. Like, is it you go sit on a couch and lie down, stare at the roof, and <laughs> say, My I did want to lie down. Through. Goodness, I really wish I was lying down. <laughs> um, there was couches involved. Yeah. You know, she'd sit kind of similar to how we're sitting. Yeah. And it's less confrontational this yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a wee bit, a little bit less scary. Um, and, you know, she'd have a notepad and we'd sit and talk and mm-hmm. make notes. And what I liked about her was she didn't beat around the bush. Mm-hmm. She was blunt. And I'm a very blunt person. Like, I'll, I would swear in the session. I would make jokes and probably sometimes too inappropriate jokes. But, mm-hmm. you know, she'd just kind of tell me. She'd kind of listen to what my brain was telling me and tell me how I should mould it to think differently. So should obviously have prompts then? Yes. Like it wouldn't be how are you feeling today? No. No. There yeah. was no. <laughs> no, none of that. How did you find opening up? Like fuck, some, something so serious like that, I, would be, I wouldn't be opening up to some random person. You know? No. Um, it was very scary going into it. I have always been the kind of person to keep everything inside. Um, well, like you just mentioned about stress, you kind of yeah. deal with it internally. Yeah. Um, I almost felt weak by needing her. Mm-hmm. But talking to her, everything disappeared. Like all of those worries, all of those kind of, I don't know how to put it, but she, she felt, it felt like talking to a friend. Mm-hmm. I felt complete trust and confidence in her. And, you know, I never cried during a session, not once. And, you know, I was talking about some pretty heavy shit and I just never... Do you think it's wrong to not have cried? No, I think it's a very individual thing. Um, I don't like crying in front of other people. I'd get in my car after talking to her and cry on the way home every day, well, every time I went. And But if I had cried, it wouldn't made the session better or worse mm-hmm. it just was my individual choice not to kind of yeah. release that emotion um so just peeling it back to the start then you your work provided those first few sessions mm-hmm. you'd end up having gumboot foundation help yep. as well was there any other assistance in that during that period like did the government actually help no no not really yeah it was all through the police and then gumboot yeah So when those sessions ended, what happened? It kind of got to the end and I felt like I could stand on my own two feet again. When you mean the end? The last session. The last session. So was it planned? Yes. Yep. Uh, It was planned at the beginning of that session. We were talking more and more towards it, 
towards the last few sessions about mm-hmm. where to now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was 2020. I didn't want to go to university. You know, I always planned on going to uni. I really wanted to do law. But my confidence had been knocked back about a thousand places. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that said to me, right, if you take one thing away from these sessions, I want you to be something. I want you to have something that you are proud of. And so I ended up enrolling in uni and started the next year, which was pretty cool. And, yeah, she was a big part of why I chose to do that. And then what did the following months and, I suppose, weeks look like? Were you you okay? Did you need more guidance? I think I got to a point where I could rely solely on my family and friends. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't in that dark mindset anymore of hiding everything. Um. Yeah, it kind of life just without sounding bad. Like I still felt sadness, mm. but it didn't consume me anymore. How do you teach that with your friends to actually be able to ask uh, or be vulnerable with your friends without feeling judgment? Is that just picking your friends wisely or is it you kind of initiate certain conversations with friends to gauge if they're at a level to share this kind of information with? Um. Because I'd imagine some people just shrug it off. And yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it's only something I've worked out this year. Mm-hmm. Like, I had two friends at the time, Brooke and Hannah, they always checked it on me, and that was their friendship. Mm-hmm. And they were very good at checking it on me, so I had that. But then I also had my friend Sam, who you're also friends with. He was the one that would I'd go to if I needed someone to just absolutely take the piss with. Just, you know, talk (laughs) darkly and just, you know, make an absolute joke out of everything. Because sometimes that is what you need to do. Sometimes you just got to laugh at your pain. And he was the friend for that. And then my family were the people I'd go to if I needed a hug. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of, it's not just one friendship. It's about spreading different parts of yourself over other friendships. 100%. I've said it before in one of these podcasts is like, I envision a table all these different chairs and family and friends sit at this table with mine. And everybody, every chair represents like a different attribute, you know, to your life. So like, yeah, you don't, you don't rely on solely one person. Mm. You've got many people at your table yeah. who you can rely on for different, different things. Um, on that humour side, <laughs> do you think you had dark humour before all this? I used to be the quietest, most nice, innocent little thing. And then my, I mean, you've heard me, I'm terrible. Yeah. Oh. No, I just can't relate. Like, I, even one of my friends at the moment, like, she's been telling me, oh, her humor's a bit dark for me. And it's like, oh, it kind of is because I don't feel like I've got a leg to stand on because I haven't experienced some of that stuff. The same with, like, I suppose, like, racist jokes, right? Mm. If you're dark skin colored, yeah, you're all good. You can yeah. you can say them, but if you're white like me, you can't say that. Yeah, the same with like say just people killing suicidal jokes or something like. Yeah, I don't feel like what a like <laughs> I can't stand there and do that. To be honest, like I've got a friend who has now started like matching my dark humor. Yeah, and you know she she's never experienced someone committing suicide. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that she can't laugh with me and kind of. You know, yeah. make the same kind of... I just feel like you're kind of walking yeah. on the It's like, oh shit, was that offensive? I think there's those friends you know that nothing you say would be offensive. Yeah, true. And, you know, um, like I'm still really good friends with Sam and the things we say, like, 
I, if someone in the, <laughs> was to get offended, it definitely wouldn't be one of us. Yeah, yeah. And like he warned me coming into this, he said, you know, be careful because <laughs> you don't want to upset Mason. Upset me? Yeah. <laughs> he was worried that, you know, if I did my my real humour, it can get quite... This ain't really a comedic podcast. Yeah, so. no, no. I did have to think about toning it down, be my more responsible self. Oh, no, like 100% <laughs> if you've got a joke, fucking crack it. <laughs> oh, but yeah. I don't know if they've a word for saying yeah. <laughs> Just out of them there. Um, so obviously you find it very beneficial to have experienced this therapy. Yes. Um, have you... You've gone to other people as well. Yes. So this year I started seeing one of the ones. Uh, he's a he's completing a psychology degree and they offer free counselling at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, did quite a few sessions with him. You know, nice so guy. So that's them like learning. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're still finishing. They're mm-hmm. not completely qualified. I think he's in his like sixth year or something, which is crazy. <laughs> I'm in my third, and I'm like, I've had enough. I'm, yeah, I'm good yeah. to go now. Like, yeah, four was enough. For yeah, me, you yeah. can't, you won't catch me doing a master's or PhD or anything. Um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with him mm-hmm. at all. I just didn't click. Mm-hmm. And then I tried again through the police, and they sent me to someone else, and I didn't click again. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with those people. Like, the approaches they took would 100% work on someone else. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was too... I think the word I'm looking for is PC. Mm -hmm. Like, they weren't real to me. Do you feel like you couldn't really relate with them? Yeah. Mm. 100%. And I mean, most of my issue was based around fertility Mm -hmm. and talking to two male counsellors. True. I don't think they quite... And nothing against them, they couldn't quite grasp it. No, yeah, I, I feel that. It's hard because, like, quite often it's good when you say, like, we're talking about you go to specific people for specific advice. Yeah. You go to those people a lot because they've had experience in that, for example, or they've expressed those feelings before, so they've yeah. been there. You can kind of rely on their them, but yeah, guy without a uterus, like, <laughs> it's we can't quite grasp the full picture. Yeah. So this. Second time around, kind of trying to get aid was to deal with the fertility issues. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, and just some like residual stuff that I've noticed within myself growing up that has stuck around from three years ago. Mm-hmm. That you know I kind of didn't even realize within myself until this year that was kind of an issue. So are you more conscious on how you feel and be like, oh fuck, I'm angry right now, and then go, why am I angry? Or are you not yeah. at that level yet? Yeah, and I think. You know, I've got a best friend now who, you know, I kind of tell her about how I'm feeling, but then I suddenly get this internal fear and dread for mm-hmm. doing so. I'm like, why is that happening? And, you know, I actually yesterday went back and saw my original mm. psychologist from three years ago, which was kind of like a turning to an old friend. And, you know, I talked to her about it and I said, my last best friend, when I unloaded on him, I lost him. In the worst way possible. Who's to say that that won't happen again? Mm-hmm. And that was this internal irrational fear I had. Mm-hmm. Still have, working on it. <laughs> and she said to me, she said, well, how many times has this happened? Once. Mm-hmm. And she said, if this had happened ten times, perhaps your fear would be a little bit more real. Yeah, 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 for sure. But 
it's happened once. So that's something that kind of was quite full circle for me, realising that I am still not over that quite yet. Mm -hmm. How have you been able to deal with this guilt? Has that been one of the hardest things? I think guilt is something that never quite goes away. Mm-hmm. You know, it eats eats away at you and can't quite ever recover those parts. But I think having someone completely separate from my life to talk about it with, she almost absolved me, not of guilt, mm-hmm. not completely, but I was able to rationalise what I could control and what I couldn't control. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't hold a gun to anyone's head. I didn't tell anyone to go and do this. I didn't control their actions. Mm. I only controlled my own. Control the controllables. Mm. Has this helped you, I suppose, be a better friend to all your your friends when they're in need and stuff? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. You'd have to ask them that, no. I feel like I'm a lot more sensitive Mm -hmm. to people's problems now. Like... I almost spend a lot of time worrying about people when I wouldn't have before, even if they're fine. You know, I still want to make sure completely that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Do you think it is a weakness to go see therapist, counsellor, psychologist? I thought that before I went. Mm-hmm. I was convinced that that meant that you couldn't handle anything yourself. I thought that that was a sign of, you know, you're not resilient, you're not mentally strong but I feel like since seeing someone for my own mental health is the same as seeing someone a GP mm-hmm. you know if you had a big like you lost half your leg you wouldn't exactly mm. not go to the GP would you you'd you know you'd go get help 100%. I think it's a massive sign of strength if you're able to admit that you do just need that little bit of extra help um, what is it like trying to find the right one? Oh, it's like speed dating. Yeah. It's terrible. No, it's not terrible. Um, <laughs> it's a challenge. Like, you go and see different people. You kind of do a first session. You talk a little bit about yourself. They talk a little bit. Because I'd imagine as well you'd be uh, reserved at first. 100%. Like, yeah. you're supposed to go there and open up, but you're, like, still gauging if yeah. they're worthy of opening up to you. Yeah. And, like, I had one a little while ago. And for some reason it was his breathing. <laughs> I couldn't do yeah, okay. the breathing. And it was just... What was he telling you to do, breathing techniques or just the way he was breathing? Both. Oh, both. Okay, but yeah, the yeah. way he was breathing, like I felt like when I was talking, I was trying not to like... Just... Kind of... Sh- yeah, just... <laughs> I'm talking. <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> but like little things like that. And, you know, with my current psychologist, I just... It's genuinely like walking into a room with a friend with those professional boundaries. And I think people tend to think therapy doesn't work because they haven't met the right therapist, Mm -hmm. psychologist, counsellor, whatever you want to call them. Um, Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say, well, therapy didn't work for me. I didn't like talking to this person. And I'm like, well, you know, if you met someone on the street, you wouldn't instantly be their friend. Nah. You'd actually want to connect with them. You'd want yeah. to have like a bond with them. So it's the same thing for finding someone to yeah, open yeah. up to. So what are um, some key 
points, attributes, fundamentals or something that um, has made the ones work for you click? So for me personally, mm. she, as I said, I think I said before, she's very blunt. She doesn't mm-hmm. beat around the bush. Two, she hasn't ever told me to fix my breathing. <laughs> That's a big thing. Yeah. Like I get some people that would work, but like yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, be yeah. honest, breathing is not going to solve everything for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also even just the swearing. Like for her swearing to me, I connect with her so much better than if... Like a breath of fresh air, like you're is. a normal person. It, it, it's genuinely yeah. like talking to someone. It's like talking to a kindred spirit. Yeah. And... Yeah, I I know in real life I'd be friends with her if she wasn't my yeah. my psychologist. Obviously, I can't be friends with her. That's a little bit weird, but like, yeah. And I know some people prefer the quiet attempt. You know, the one that focuses on mindfulness mm-hmm. and you know all of the other stuff. Um, just stuff that doesn't quite work with me. Is a um, thing that I suppose a tool that I use in. Physical exercise is like diminish, diminishing uh, comparison. So say, for instance, you're going for a tough run, but you've done tough runs before, and you're like, ah, in comparison to these runs, this run's easy. You know? Um, I have also started doing that with my own life, is comparing my life to others and going, oh, fuck, my life's not as hard as everybody else's. That kind of thing. You've gone through, like, three people passing away, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, I suppose like a lot of negativity. Have you started diminishing your own thoughts and feelings when you compare yourself to others? Massively. How do you kind of address that and deal with that? Um, I think... Because each and every one of us got our own problems. Exactly. But it's just at a different magnitude. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think... I invalidate my own feelings a lot, and I have done for years. You know, even when I had three people pass away, which, you know, is massive looking back on it, I still thought about other people. And I thought, well, you know, his family will be going through worse. His friends, Mm. his closer friends will be going through worse. You know, his job, like, all of that stuff kind of made me think it's not as bad. Mm -hmm. And it made me almost feel guilt for being sad. And, you know, going back to counsellors and my psychologist recently, that was massive for me because I felt like I wasn't deserving enough. I felt like I was taking up a space for someone who might need it more than me. And, you know, I got into my uh, my psychologist and I got in there and I said to her, you know, I wasn't actually going to come. I really wanted to see you and talk to you, but I wasn't going to come because I thought you... Your time is too valuable spent on people who are worse than me. And she kind of said to me, and this is, you know, you asked me for words of wisdom. This is kind of... Yeah, you can drop it in here. Yeah, drop it in. Um, So she said to me, you know, 20 centimetres of water versus two metres of water, it's still drowning. Mm -hmm. And that was massive for me. Like, that just resonated so strong because just because... I'm drowning in what some would consider a small pool of water. Doesn't mean I'm not drowning compared mm-hmm. to the person who's off on the deep end. Yeah. You know, you diminish what you're going through, but it doesn't mean... That you're not suffering. That you're not suffering. That you're not worthy of assistance. Yeah. That was, you know, those few words just completely summed it up for me. It was 
I diminished my feelings. I invalidated my feelings, but it doesn't mean that I'm not suffering. Mm-hmm. And just because there's someone out there who's suffering more than me doesn't mean I'm not suffering. Yeah. Fuck, it's so true. Mm. And that took me years to work out. Still working it out, but... Yeah. Know. Do you think you'll forever be an ongoing kind of process? Yes. <laughs> yes. Work Does that ever come forever. across daunting? Yeah, massively. Um, I still have issues that I haven't even realised yet, you know? Mm. A lot of people spend their whole lives and they don't ever see their own shortcomings. Um, I'm quite lucky that I've had to... Lucky in a way that I've had to face them from such an early age. I've always had to face what's not great about myself and it's quite scary to look into yourself and to see what's wrong and it's uncomfortable. But, you know... We only kind of get one life and it's the best kind of opportunity to live it to the best as being the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. I did just have something in my head, what you said. <laughs> You're talking about, um, fuck. So this is why I try to write shit down. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about like... Yourself Perception No I've lost it Anyway this is going to Just flow into uh, The third kind of point Yep Which is um, Yeah kind of Your perception on yourself Um, You've got You're young And You've got a bit of a following Um, How is Like I suppose People Seeing you like, you're quite public. Like, how does that affect how you feel and how you interact with other people and how you express yourself? Yeah, I mean, I used to be decently followed for certain reasons. And I feel like at the time I was so unhappy because, you know, you spend with the age of social media and the age of Photoshop, you know, you look. Because, yeah, that's the thing. You're coming through this. this Age now, oh, era, era. era. That's that's a key. That's an era word. This era of social media and uh, the influence of, yeah, I suppose, but just being open to people seeing and stuff, open to scrutiny. Yeah. How has that? Yeah, just affected you as a as a young teenager to young adult. I think I'd be lying if I said it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see people who you'd consider more attractive than yourself or more successful or further in life than what you are. And, you know, it's all right there on the screen of your phone. It's comparison again. eh? It's massive comparison. And, you know, you don't actually see the bad parts of people's lives on social media, Mm. really. I mean, everyone's putting their best foot forward and, you know, you kind of do the same thing. And you look at your best foot, but you also look at another person's best foot and you think, well, why am I not there? Mm. I think I've seen something recently about, like, the gym's the best part. You look at one person at the gym, you're like, fuck, I wish I was like that. And then you mm. look to the other side and you're like, that guy wishes he was... And then that guy's wishing he was like you kind of yeah. thing. It's like a continual chasing your tail kind of cycle, isn't it? Exactly. And you talk about um, sharing your uh, fertility kind of journey there as well, uh, having scrutiny with that. How have you kind of dealt with negative feedback? Assuming that you re- re- would have received some in the years. Yeah. Because um, it's always the one little nugget that fucks you off, eh? Oh, massively. 
Like you could have hundred people say something positive, and then yeah, there's one person, one bad thing, and they just live rent free in your head <laughs> for ages. Eh? Yeah. How have you learned to deal with that? I mean, I have had negative. I mean, who hasn't on social media, kind of yeah. in a way, who hasn't had negative feedback? Um, I kind of looked at it, and for a few days, I kind of thought about it. And I was like, what if this person is right? Mm-hmm. What if this person, one person who said something negative? is what everyone's thinking mm. behind closed doors. And I kind of spent a few days mulling over it, and it's happened more than once. Um, and suddenly I just clicked. I was like, why do I give a shit? Mm-hmm. You know, I look at my life, and I look at the best foot I put forward on social media. That doesn't mean that it's everything in my life. Mm. You know, I don't put the feelings, the emotions, the small wins, those don't go on social media. <laughs> so people don't actually know me at yeah. all. You know, and I kind of wish I could delete social media, but then, you know, it is a big step at 21 to kind of be disconnected from your yeah, peers. Because, you, you know, you lose touch with everyone. Yeah. Everyone keeps in touch through social media. But it almost, I fear for the next generation of how involved their lives are going to be with social media. Their lives are already on there before they know it. I know. My sister, <laughs> Baby who's <showers>. nine, it, <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Like, I go to Snapchat and Be Real, um, the fun stuff, so I can keep in touch with her when I'm not there. Yeah. And, which is cool. But I fear for her having, like, Instagram and all of that and looking at these girls. You know, she does gymnastics. She's an incredible athlete. Yeah. Which, you know, (laughs) outdone her sister in that way. Um, (laughs) But, you know, she does ab workouts. Because she doesn't have abs like the other gymnasts she sees. She's 10. And she's nine, 9, turning 10. And I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's hard. Because you're not even developed as a person, but you don't know that. No, she has no idea. And she just thinks, you know, I see these other gymnasts who have abs. She, you know, she cried to me one night saying, like, I'm not as fit as them. And I'm like, well, well hang on a minute. <laughs> you're nine yeah. years old. You shouldn't care that you don't have visible Abs. Yeah. I'm like, well, that kind of translate into translates into what we can't see we're doing at my age. You know, mm. people around me. You know, I recently got Invisalign mm-hmm. to fix my teeth. Nobody was looking at my teeth. I was. Oh yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, just just you're noticed like, you're wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like before, I had it. Yeah. Nobody cared. I had a nah. tiny gap between my front two teeth, but I cared. Fuck no. I really cared, and it was massive. So how have you learned to deal with that? Like, it would be more stuck in your head as opposed to listening to other people and that kind of basic crap. Like, it's like we just tapped on earlier before this. I think the the art of not giving a fuck. Yeah, the art of not giving a fuck. Um, that is still a work in progress. If someone, were, like, you put up a post to yourself and someone were to say something bad at you, like, how do you deal with that now? I think ignoring it. Would you just delete it and try and forget about it? Yeah. I think realising they don't know a single thing about you. Mm. You know, if one of my friends said something negative about me, I'd kind of take it into consideration and be like, hang on a minute, what am I doing wrong? If one of those people at your table said something. Exactly. But those people don't say things wrong. You know, I expect my friends to call me out when I'm (laughs) acting wrong. Yeah, yeah, And they do, believe me. But none of them would say negative things about Silly little things like your appearance. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's not everything. Do you think um, it depends on 
Well, not depends. Do you think you've gone through who you follow um, and, like, kind of got rid of some of the the fake kind of shit? 100%. Because that's who you start comparing yourself and you think that's reality, isn't it? Yep. Yep. I mean, recently I've gone through a massive overhaul of who I follow because, you know, certain people I look at them and I go, well, why am I not them? Mm. Why do I not look as good as them? Or why am I not? Because I've just started going back to the gym since mm-hmm. the fertility stuff. Why am I not as strong as them? Why am I not doing this? And so they don't bring value to your life. You I don't. Just, just get rid of it. You know, I social media was built to keep in touch with your friends and family. Mm. It wasn't built for you to see photoshopped it's people so true. who you don't know what's gone on behind that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't, I mean, even looking at their lives, you don't know the bad things in their lives. <laughs> you don't know what's actually going on with yeah, them. Yeah. They don't mean anything to you at the end of the day. Nice. <laughs> Keynote theme. So we'll flip back around. Life is never guaranteed. Why does this stringer, stringer, strucker, why does this hit a chord with you? <laughs> <laughs> String accord, struck accord, yeah. Um, whatever. Yeah, I'm, it is. Not, I'm not good at English. Oh. You know? like, <laughs> I take law, and I'm not good at English. So, <laughs> why is this um, a keynote theme that you'd be able to uh, talk to somebody and, and share your feelings with? Life is not guaranteed. I think growing up, you know, people do say life's not fair, mm-hmm. but until you actually go through something that isn't fair, mm. completely out of your control. You don't realise that nothing is promised. You know, nobody promises you that you're going to be successful. Nobody promises that life's going to have be easy for you. You've got to work your ass off to kind of get what you want, and even then, it doesn't always work out the way you hoped. <laughs> um, I think going through some stuff that we've, we've talked about, it's kind of proven that you just need to be able to adapt. And at the end of the day, you look for the good moments, but you got to deal with the bad to have the good. And at the end of the day, the only thing we're guaranteed is that at the end of this, we're going to die. So there's no point in hoping that something's going to just fall into your lap. You've got to go out there and get it. So, yep, we all die. Has that changed the way you deal day to day? Like, I know it's hard for people, but just be more grateful that you wake up today. Yeah. Has that changed your perception on... Yeah, day-to-day life, week-to-week, that you're actually being more present and not so much looking for you 30 years down the line. Mm. I think it's still a work in progress. You know, there's moments where I'm kind of caught up in the moment and thinking, well, this is shit and this is never going to end. But, (laughs) fuck it. I mean, when I'm good, I can say, you know, fuck, this is great. You can swear on it. Okay, cool. I wasn't too sure. I was like, how much swearing? Um, but like, you know, even today, the, it was raining before yeah. you got here and now it's sunny. I love that. And But I also love being inside and watching the rain. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I was walking with a coffee, so I was <laughs> spitting, like going to the car. It was the perfect sun kind of section and like you can see the water drops bouncing out like in the sunlight. And then I look across and you just see it raining. I'm like, fuck, this is so lovely, like beautiful kind of thing. Yes, it sucks getting wet. Yeah, but it's also being present, being mindful about yeah the beauty of nature, I suppose, in a way, and the mm. uh, uh, unreliability, the uh, uncertainty of it all. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, even little things, you know, having a pet, mm. they're only around for a fraction of your life. A fraction of your life, but they make such an impact. <laughs> Huge, eh? It's so big. Oh, oh, yeah. I don't know what I'd do without my dog, honestly. Hey, mate, you're just sitting there on your little seat. Um, but just little things like that, like when she gets playful and I get to have those 10 minutes of just pure fun with her. Oh, and you forget about everything else. You forget about everything else. And little moments like that just make all the bad shit worth it. So what excites you day to day? I like to push myself. I think trying to create challenges to see how far I can go, you know, with study and now with gym and stuff like that. And exciting things, I, you know, that first message from your friend in the morning or even just like on social media sharing reels that we, Mm. you know, remind us of each other. Oh, yeah. And knowing that someone else is thinking about me, you know, that just kind of makes my heart smile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you talk about like pushing, so like for me pushing, I'm pushing in my physical realm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm wanting to run further kind of thing. How does pushing look like for you? You say study, but like what, what is that just like pushing your limits, trying to get the A pluses? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this has been my best year yet, mm-hmm. which has been surprising considering, you know, the last, I'd say the last two years have been pretty mundane for mm-hmm. me compared to what life has thrown at me. But this year has been amazing. Um, I've pushed myself. I'm getting kind of A pluses and everything, which has been quite nice. Um, but trying to maintain that mm-hmm. while knowing that I'm going through like a mental battle within myself. Why does that excite you? <sighs> For me, it's curiosity. Yeah. Is that the same? Yeah. It's Just n- wondering how your untapped potential kind of thing, aren't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. if I could do this, imagine what I could do yeah, 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 when yeah. I've got 100% of my time to devote to it. And exactly. Yeah. What do you think your biggest struggle in life has been to date? I think proving to myself that I am resilient. Mm-hmm. I think changing the way that my brain speaks to me has been Ooh. massive. And I'm still working on it, but it has been, compared to what I was a while ago, mm-hmm. it's a lot better. So I've got a friend at the moment who, um, yeah, doesn't speak to self very well. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced that before as well? Yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you overcome that little internal voice? Gosh, when I figure out the perfect recipe, <laughs> I'll yeah. give you a call. <laughs> um, I think... Because I feel like you must lack a bit of confidence then. Yeah. Um, I think I talk down on myself a lot to almost limit my expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, I say to myself, I'm not going to do very well on this paper. And then I exceed it. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that the next paper that comes along, I'm going to say that I'm going to ace this paper. Mm. But say, like, in my perspective, if I had a friend who, um, let's just say, they think they're fat, and they're not fat, and they go, oh, I'm so fat, I look fat in this, and I'll be like, no, you don't, like, yeah. you look awesome, kind of thing, then I feel like that's just falling on deaf ears. In a way, it is. Yeah, which just sucks, man. It does. I mean, I know. It sucks as a friend. Yeah. Because like, you can't get through to them, and they're just in this 
internal spiral of I look fat, I look fat, I look fat. I think relying on your friends is so important, but also you need to realise it yourself. Yeah, I was going to say, it's one of those things, the self-realisation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been told the same thing about how I'm feeling right now. Like, I'm quite... I wouldn't say I'm depressed because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose myself, and that is mm-hmm. a quite a serious thing to diagnose yourself with. But I've been feeling quite down. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't admit that to myself. I would never say to myself, I am feeling down, and I am struggling. It's the people around me are saying it. You know, my best friend, my partner, he's, they're, they're all saying it. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be easier on yourself. But until I actually realized it, realized it myself that I was struggling, I wasn't going to hear it. Mm. Yeah, you don't know. You don't. You Shut generally, you think like, oh, no, nah, they're not, you know. What does the next know. chapter look like for you? Next chapter. Lots more healing. Yeah. <laughs> Lots more trying to be present and appreciate the little things instead of trying to rush through everything. So, me being older, on the other half of the 20s. Ancient. Yeah, I'm starting to like... <laughs> starting to feel it. <laughs> you, you're starting to realise, yeah, a lot of the time, ta- like a lot of the things you see on reels and TikToks and shit, that is so true that... In your 20s is a time where you're supposed to trial and error a lot of the different things. Yeah. You've been at the front end of their 20s. What does the next decade look like for you? Is it going to be a lot of trial and error? I hope so. Mm-hmm. I hope I have trials and errors and things that fail because otherwise I'm going to go through life thinking, why didn't I do that mm. earlier? You know, people put so much pressure on nailing, right. yeah. nailing your 20s. The fucking blueprint. Yeah, like, you know, by 25 you should have a house. You should own your own house. You know, 27 you should be engaged. Mm. Random numbers, but like, you know, people expect that you should have graduated university, you should be starting your career. And great for people who do. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. But like, unless you try things now, you're never going to try them. Mm. You're going to be stuck in the same position you were for the next 40 years until you retire. 50. It's exciting, eh? Yeah. Yeah. But I think... It's scary to fail. Mm-hmm. It's massively scary. But also, if you don't fail, you kind of can't really succeed either. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Okay, uh, you've already given us the words, but let's uh, let's hear it again. Finish us with a quote or words of wisdom. Uh, whether it's 20 centimetres of water or two metres doesn't mean that you're not drowning. No, I like that. Yeah, it makes you think, hey, like, No, I just sometimes, yeah, definitely think, but it's just like, <laughs> yeah, no no words come out. It's just all internal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine this week, um, I've definitely said it before in this podcast, but I thought it was quite nice with uh, the story that we've shared today is we tiptoe through life hoping to safely make it to death, which uh, taps on your life is never guaranteed. And what we just talked about is trial and error through all our early years. Um, because it's a waste of time making it to death safely. Yeah. There's no point of, uh, oh, no, there is a point of living, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to, yeah, like I've mentioned as well, is you got to live life to the width, not only the length. Yes. Uh, so living day to day, week to week, month to month, not only looking for the future. Um, thank you so much uh, for your time. No for your yarns. Not being too dark on me. No, <laughs> no I just been opening up and like this is a, definitely an interesting story that I've never heard of. 
Um, I am a male, so probably people don't really talk about it around males. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm so happy to be able to share this um, and talk to you about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. All right, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, catch you next week, maybe.